Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast. We're heading to the suburbs. What's our episode, Donna? We're ready to talk about Jennifer Moves. The air date was the 8th of November, 1980. Written by Hugh Wilson. Story editor, Lisa Levin. Executive story consultants, Steve Marshall and Dan Gunselman. Directed by Linda Day. Jennifer buys a large house in a quiet suburb and asks the WKRP staffers to help her move. While moving furniture into an upper room, Les hears demonic voices, and a telephone man appears harmless but turns out to be sinister. After several other issues on moving day, Jennifer has second thoughts about her purchase. Although I have helped fellow brothers in sound move more times than I can count, this one really is about as far away from the radio station as you can get. Aside from the first couple of minutes in the cold open, we spend the entire episode in Jennifer's newly purchased suburban Victorian. If the different seasons have a character, season three is known for its experimentation. Many of these episodes are going to take big creative swings. Some work, others fall flat. We saw a misfire with last week's airplane show. This one works. It's different, but... It's really a fun episode. This episode could be performed as a play. The entire thing is structured like a madcap farce in real time. The large kitchen set has entrance points in all directions. The set design creates an opportunity for an endless parade of wacky guest stars to enter and exit. There are no scene or act breaks. The action keeps flowing along. With Jennifer Moves, second-time director Linda Day has constructed a hilarious engine of comedy that chugs along at a brisk pace for a solid 24 minutes. Let's get into the episode. We start out in the bullpen, where Bailey is the first to arrive for work this morning. She comes into the bullpen carrying a box, and we can see a clipboard with a pen. She sets them on her desk as Herb enters behind her. Good morning, little Miss Goody Two-Shoes. Still out beating the pavement for signatures? Still trying to make this great big government of ours responsive to the people? Yes, I am. (laughs) Oh, you nut. Herb takes off his coat and it's time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. Blue and white checkered jacket that has a red collar, red pocket flaps, and a red flap on the breast jacket pocket as well. We've seen this one before, but it definitely gets an alert every time Herb pulls it out of the closet. There's even a great production still of him in this coat. I've seen it several times posted on the Facebook page. It's a great coat. 
So Bailey explains she's trying to affect a change in our society. Holding up one hand, signaling Bailey to stop. Herb says, I know, I know. Holding the clipboard of forms and a pen out to Herb, Bailey asks him to sign her petition. Absolutely not. Herbert R. Tarlick doesn't sign anything. Besides, I read somewhere that solar energy is dangerous. It leaks or something. Herb pulls out his extension mirror, and looking at himself in the mirror, he bares his teeth and then turns his head in all directions as he studies his reflection. Bailey asks Herb if it isn't nuclear energy that leaks. Everything leaks. Water, oil, you name it. It's the nature of things. (laughs) It's just the nature of things. Everything leaks. Herb is digging around in his desk drawer. He's looking for his comb. He begins to panic. Where's my comb? Somebody stole my comb. Bailey walks up to Herb, looks him square in the eye. At this very moment, I despise you with every fiber of my being. (laughs) Herb seems to only be partially aware of world affairs. I'm guessing he heard something about leaks the year before during the accident at the Three Mile Island nuclear facility in March of 1979. Reactor number two, located near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, partially melted down. Radioactive gas and radioactive iodine were both released into the environment. To this day, Three Mile Island remains the most significant accident in U.S. commercial nuclear power plant history. Les enters the bullpen from the studio hallway door. He says hi to Bailey. Then he tosses Herb's comb back into Herb's (laughs) desk drawer. Here, Herb. Thanks. Les opens his office door and walks in. Herb picks up his comb and he walks over to Les. Shaking the comb at Les, Herb tells him to get his own comb and how combs are personal. This is very upsetting, Les. You know what I mean? More upsetting than a nuclear power plant leak. Darn right. Bailey goes back to her desk, rubbing her forehead as if she has a horrible headache. Les explains to Herb why he took the comb. I had to look my best. I was going on the air. It's radio, you idiot. (laughs) Now, now, thinking about this, I don't think this is the first time Les has taken Herb's comb. This is just the first time Herb was aware of it. I think so. I think this goes on all the time. Well, something that I thought about is, you know, Les doesn't have a whole lot of hair. But the hair that he does have, it seems like it would be kind of flighty. I think he had a little dabble do ya in his hair, and maybe <laughs> the comb is greasy. Maybe it's kind of greasing up Herb's comb. It might be. Jennifer bursts into the bullpen. Guess what? There's been a leak. <laughs> I bought a house. It's across the river in Landersville. She is speaking quickly. She is so excited. She tells them it's a big Victorian with a big backyard. I can't wait to fix it up. It'll be beautiful. Bailey tells her it's wonderful news. Les congratulates Jennifer Herb, who's standing next to Les, asks Jennifer how much the house costs, and takes a big swig of coffee from his cup as she answers. One twenty-five. He spits his coffee right onto Les. (laughs) Les is staring unbelievably at Herb, and it was a lot of coffee. It was a big mouthful. Herb looks at this big coffee-colored wet spot on Les's right shoulder. Les Les looks... Oh, man, Les is fuming. He's got this irate look on his face. He stares at Herb. He has his thumbs hooked in his pants pocket. I've never seen him do that before. And it gives him a very threatening stance. Jennifer says 
that she's across the river in Landersville. This would mean she's in Kentucky. We found no evidence of a city named Landersville in either Kentucky or Ohio. There is one in Alabama, but Jennifer's Landersville appears to be fictional. So what had Herb spitting coffee? 125000 doesn't sound like that extravagant a house, but remember it was 1980. Jenny Poo got herself a nice place. According to the inflation calculator, $125,000 in 1980 has equivalent purchasing power of $414,000 mm. in 2021. You can get some pretty nice digs for that. Yeah, and uh, the average home price in Cincinnati right now is 240000 so she's doubling almost the average home price. Jennifer continues. I was wondering if any of you big, strong men here at the station could help me move this weekend. The door to the studio hallway opens and Johnny quickly comes in. He's heading to refill his mug. You can count on me. Thank you. you always listen through a door before you come into a room. A little trick I picked up years ago down in Juarez. <laughs> I wasn't here at Cruz. <laughs> so Johnny was hanging out in Juarez. We looked it up. It's on the border right between Mexico and the United States. Vera Cruz a little further down into eastern Mexico. Based on this and other comments, Johnny seems to have spent a lot of time in Mexico. It was a, a, a minor misunderstanding one night with a 145 Mexican cops. <laughs> He's just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, let's go eat. I thought there were soldiers. Yeah. I'll catch up with sure. you. He said, show me some badges. And the guy said, badges? Ah, oh, we don't need no stinking badges. <laughs> Johnny sees Les's wet shirt. Les, you ought to try to control your drooling. <laughs> Les continues to angrily stare at Herb. Jennifer asks Johnny if he's able to help her this weekend. Johnny says he'll be there. And I will be exclusively in charge of your bedroom furniture. <laughs> Johnny turns to head out the door, but he's stopped by Herb, who needs to get in on this. He's holding up his hand. <laughs> Sorry, I get the bedroom furniture. Sorry, pal. Late. <laughs> Smiling, Johnny leaves the bullpen. He won. Yeah. What do I get, Jennifer? Jennifer looks at Herb. The piano? Either that or the kitchen utensils. Think about it, her. Jennifer leaves, followed by Bailey. Jennifer's excitedly talking about the new house to Bailey as they walk down the hallway and around the corner. Herb walks toward his desk, contemplating the choice that Jennifer just gave him. Piano or kitchen utensils. <laughs> what to do, what to do. I don't know what there is to think about. That seems like an easy choice to me. Yeah. Les, who is behind Herb, reaches over and grabs a pair of large scissors from his desk, walks up behind Herb, and holding the scissors tightly in his left hand, he raises his arm as if he's going to stab Herb in the back. And wow, that was a long cold open. WKRP in Cincinnati back from break, we see an exterior shot of a beautiful old three-story Victorian home. It's painted yellow and has a large front porch with big windows on each side of the front door. When we move inside the house, Bailey and Jennifer are unpacking boxes in a large kitchen. It looks old, though. It looks very dated. Bailey hands Jennifer a blender from one of the boxes. Jennifer takes it to the counter and adds it to the four that were already unpacked <laughs> earlier. Are you sure you don't want another blender? No, thanks. You gave me two last year. I think you mentioned it before. Bailey or Jennifer needs to start uh, dating some different guys other She's than... She's got somebody that's other than other in small than appliances. appliances. Yeah. 
Jennifer tells Bailey that she's heard moving is a dreadful experience. But so far, this has been kind of easy. Venus and Andy come in the back door carrying what looks like a small dresser with the drawers all out. Venus is speaking in a British accent as he greets Jennifer and Bailey. Tata. Well, Miss Marlowe, my assistant Snibley and I have brought this frightfully heavy but charming piece of furniture all the way from Detroit. <laughs> Jennifer joins in with an accent of her own. Thanks awfully, Rich. And not to be outdone, Andy addresses Jennifer with an accent of his own. Hey, Mama, what do you want to suck up? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what is Andy playing? Well, Jennifer tells them that she would like that piece of furniture upstairs. Oh, Andy's not happy about this. He tells Jennifer he thinks it looks good right there in the kitchen. Heck yeah, you can come down here in the morning, cook breakfast, and get dressed right down here in the kitchen. (laughs) Jennifer tells Andy it needs to go to the third floor. Johnny comes in with Art close behind. Johnny's carrying a very large box. It's about the size of a, like a cat carrier. Make way, Jennifer's jewelry. (laughs) (laughs) Quickly and officiously. Just before going through the door to the living room, Art turns around. I'm the guard. Herb enters through the back door. He leans down on the dresser that Venus and Andy are moving. He says he has never met people like them before. I've asked each of you at least six times. And if someone doesn't come out here and help me pretty soon, I'm going home and leaving the piano in the street. What's wrong with you, Herb? You mean not tell us that you can't lift the piano all by yourself? <laughs> I say, Smedley, I think the chap is a bit of a sissy. <laughs> Andy and Venus pick up the dresser and head into the living room. Now, this dresser that we're talking about gets a, a lot of play in this episode, and Andy and Venus do a lot of complaining. There's but nothing to it. It's all of the drawers are out, and it's not. It's like barely knee high. <laughs> yeah, it can't weigh more than ten or twelve pounds. Ooh, they get a lot of play out of it, though. Well, Herb follows Andy and Venus. Think that's funny. When I moved, no one helped me. Hell, I couldn't even get Mayflower interested. <laughs> Andy yells back, telling Herb to ask Les to help him. Herb says he can't. He hasn't spoken to me since I spit on him. Les <laughs> is holding a bit of a grudge over the coffee thing. <laughs> so Herb says he couldn't get Mayflower interested. That's pretty rough because moving is all Mayflower does. Mayflower Transit is an international moving company founded in Indianapolis, Indiana in 1927. Mayflower was acquired by Unigroup in 1995. Mayflower's current world headquarters is located in Fenton, Missouri, a suburb of St. Louis. Jennifer has this worried look on her face as she watches Herb heading for the back door to leave. Please don't go home. Please don't leave my piano in the street. Herb looks at Jennifer and he shakes his head. (laughs) Not going to work this time. It's hanging tough, but Jennifer bites her lower lip and looks down at the floor. Damn. (laughs) Herb heads out the door. Now we've talked about how Jennifer can wield her looks like a weapon, and this is a great example. The slightest little bite of the lip, and Herb just can't say no. A little tilt of her head and the bite of the lip. Before Herb can get out the door, Les is on his way in. He has a box with kitchen utensils. He has found a knife and has it (laughs) raised. He's coming toward Herb with a crazed look in his eyes. 
Herb is backing into the kitchen, calling for Jennifer. Let's put the knife down. Les smiles eerily at Herb as he puts the knife in the box, and Jennifer guides him over to the counter. Now, here the knife was in his right hand. Yeah, and he had the scissors in the left hand. Yes, so he's ambidextrous. When it comes to killing Herb. Yes. (laughs) So Bailey tells Herb to show her the piano. Herb tells her she can't lift it. I know, I want to play it. (laughs) The street. Herb and Bailey go out the door. Les looks around the kitchen and tells Jennifer... She has a really nice house. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Left pinky finger. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist, Les Nessman. Seems like a... Rather large home for just one person. Jennifer agrees. Les opens the basement door, peeks in, and then closes it. You know, my great-aunt Eureka Nesman lived in a house like this once. (laughs) All alone. She had a little parakeet and used to let it fly free throughout the house. Les smiles at her, but it's kind of an odd smile. Jennifer is standing, looking at Les as he tells his story. And then she bought another parakeet and another and more and more until finally there were thousands of parakeets. And the mess they made was beyond belief. (laughs) Aunt Eureka had gone insane, of course, living all alone in a house very much like this one. Les is wearing an Xavier University sweatshirt. We've mentioned Xavier before because there's a pennant from them hanging in the bullpen. It was founded in 1831. Xavier University is a Jesuit Catholic university located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Xavier is annually ranked among the nation's best universities. They currently serve about 7,000 students in both undergraduate and graduate programs. Jennifer doesn't see Art and Johnny come up behind her. She is lost in a trance listening to Les. Jennifer. She kind of jumps. Jennifer comes back to reality and asks everyone if they would like anything to drink. Les wants to have a look around the dark cellar. Jennifer heads to get the soft drinks. She walks over to her refrigerator. And would you look at that fridge? Yeah, what is that? What a dinosaur. It's a general electric. GE was founded by Thomas Edison and J.P. Morgan in 1889. The first ever electric refrigerator was invented by General Electric in 1927. And I think that's it in Jennifer's house. Yeah, that might be the one. (laughs) It cost around $520. Now, even though electrics were available, most folks were still buying ice because $520 in 1927 converts to roughly $7,500 today. GE still makes refrigerators along with freezers, dishwashers, washers, dryers, water filtration systems, air conditioners, industrial turbines, jet engines, water heaters, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Wow. Venus and Andy walk in. They've been trying to get the dresser up to the third floor, and I'm telling you, <laughs> these guys... It's not are... that big. <laughs> They're struggling with a piece of nothing. Hey, you know what? That dresser looks great sitting right there on the steps. I'd leave it there if I was you. There's a knock at the back door. A balding 40-something man is in the doorway. He's wearing tan pants, a white dress shirt, a brown belt, and a dark blue sweater draped over his shoulders in that preppy style. (laughs) He introduces himself as the next-door neighbor, Ken Dahlquist. 
Jennifer shakes his hand. Oh, hello. I'm Jennifer Marlowe, your new next-door neighbor. Really? Yes. <laughs> These are my friends. <laughs> Ken is mesmerized. <laughs> he says hi to them, but his eyes never leave Jennifer. He is still shaking her hand, looking at her in total disbelief. You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer finally pulls her hand away. Ken Dahlquist is played by Terry Wills. Terry Wills had a solid working actor career starting back in the late 70s. One of his earliest appearances was a guest shot on Streets of San Francisco. Terry has more than 75 acting credits on his IMDb profile. He appeared in New Heart, Hill Street Blues, Moonlighting, Police Squad, and many more. He had a recurring role on Flow. He appeared in seven episodes of Family Ties and a dozen episodes of Days of Our Lives. Terry is also a founding member of the Magic Theater of San Francisco and has appeared in more than 60 national TV commercials. Ken, still staring at Jennifer, says... I can't believe this. I really can't believe this is happening to me. (laughs) (laughs) He's about to fall over. Jennifer asks Ken if he'd like to sit down. Ken says, okay. And Jennifer leads him to the table where the others are sitting. Jennifer asks Ken if he'd like something to drink. Yeah, sure, anything. Jennifer opens the refrigerator, looks in, and sees she's out of soft drinks. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm all out. That's just fine. That's great. Ken could care less. He's sitting at the table with this silly grin on his face. He is in La La Land. I think we ought to get a blanket and cover him up. (laughs) Cover him up. You could give him a glass of swill and he would drink it. He wouldn't care. Herb comes to the back door. He is frustrated, out of breath, and his shirt tail is hanging out from under his sweater. Unless someone comes out here right now and helps me with this piano... I'm never, ever going to speak to any of you again for as long as I live. Venus, Mr. Carlson, and Andy take a drink from their sodas. Johnny picks up a feather duster and he picks up a feather duster and looks it over. Ken is lost in his happy thoughts. Herb is about to blow. He turns and he leaves. I love these little reports that we get periodically from Herb as things just get worse and worse on the piano front. It's just so funny. Jennifer looks at the group and tells him someone really should go help her. Yeah. And he says it shouldn't be a problem. He's got an idea. Ken? Ken? Huh? <laughs> Jennifer wants you to go out into the street and help move a piano. Yes. Of course. <laughs> well, of course Ken's going to go help. He stands <laughs> up, stares at Jennifer as he walks out the back door, and of course Jennifer is up on a stepladder in her tight jeans, form-fitting sweater, and knee-high boots. She's leaning over the top of the refrigerator with one leg up a step higher than the other as Ken walks by. I think you are going to like it here, Jennifer. (laughs) Ken will come over every night, draw your bath, do your nails. You are a sick boy, Fever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Sick boy, Fever. We hear the doorbell. Jennifer asks if someone can get that. Venus and Andy argue over who will get the door. Get that, Weaving. Why don't you get that? Well, because I'm tired and I think i got a double hernia here. <laughs> what Johnny get? I can't because I'm dealing with a mental picture right now. <laughs> well, I'm certainly not going to get it. I'm the senior officer afloat. I'll get it. But before she can get down from the stepladder, a woman comes in saying that no one answered the door, so she just came on in. Now, she's wearing a tan skirt, brown belt, 
white button-up blouse and a dark blue sweater draped over her shoulders. In that preppy Hmm. style? Well, she looks like a female version of Ken, and it's no surprise when she introduces herself. I'm Dottie Dalquist. I live next door. Dottie! (laughs) Dottie is being played by Judith Marie Bergen. Judith, like Terry, has a solid working actor resume. She was born in Indianapolis in November of 1948. Her first TV appearance was on a Charlie's Angels episode in November of 77. She worked consistently throughout the 80s and 90s. She has 59 acting credits, and several of her roles were recurring, but they were on series I don't remember, like one called Maggie, another called Domestic Life. I don't remember them either. Yeah. Judith Marie passed away in 2016 at uh, kind of a young age of 67. Smiling, Jennifer goes over and introduces herself. Oh, I just met your husband. I'm Jennifer Marlowe, your new next-door neighbor. Really? Yes. These are my friends. Dottie continues to stare at Jennifer as she says hi to the gang. Hi. You're kidding. (laughs) No. You know, I think I'm really going to like it here. It's so quiet and all the streets are lined with those I can't believe this. I really can't believe it. I can't believe this is happening to me. (laughs) This is such a great bit. Dottie and Jennifer are doing the exact same sequence of lines that Ken and Jennifer did in the previous scene. Dottie's alternate interpretation of the lines, though, makes them hilarious. Jennifer asks Dottie if she would like to sit down. Dottie lets herself be guided to the table as she begins to hiccup uncontrollably. (laughs) Jennifer, where do you keep those blankets? (laughs) And again, Johnny with the blankets. More blankets. Get these people covered up. I think he's looking, in at, shock. he's looking at them. They're in shock. Yeah, yes. and they, they need covered. And the action just continues. We just stay in the kitchen, and everything keeps happening in the kitchen in real time. Andy and Venus are sitting at the table watching Dottie, who's still hiccuping. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny's sitting on the counter. Art's getting Dottie a glass of water. Art sets the glass in front of Dottie. He's trying to calm her down. Listen, Dottie, Jennifer is one of the finest people I've met. I'd, I'd love to have her for a neighbor. Dottie says she knows, and she apologizes. I mean, my gosh, you can't help it if you're the best-looking woman I've ever seen. (laughs) Still hiccuping, Dottie sits back down at the table. The hiccups are an unexpected but very funny reaction to meeting Jennifer. I love that. Must be some kind of nervous reaction or something. I guess, but it's a funny reaction. Carlson tells Dottie that he thinks she and Jennifer will be really good friends. I I can see both of you borrowing sugar from each other out there gardening together. You're right. Going shopping. Dottie is becoming more calm. Yeah, then in summer you can go sunbathing together. Oh my God. Venus tells Andy he thinks he has a mean streak in him. I'm not mean. I'm stupid. Andy looks at Dottie. (laughs) Now that was pretty mean on Andy's part. If he was just being stupid, it was clumsy. Now, is he referencing filthy pictures, you think? I think so. I think so. And he has seen Jennifer in a bathing suit, so he kind of knows what she looks like. Well, and he also has kind of been sunbathing with Jennifer, and it didn't turn out well. Okay, now, uh, the two of you, give me some skin here. Flash the pods around, I'll just click away. Make it look real sexy. Jennifer leans down and tells Dottie she's sure everything will be just fine. Dottie agrees. Jennifer goes over by the counter to get some coffee for Dottie. We hear another knock at the back door. More folks. It's a balding man wearing a nice brown suit. Anybody home? May I help you? I'm Wayne Craven from the phone company. And the parade of guest stars rolls on. 
Wayne Craven is being played by Ken Kimmons. Ken was born in Brooklyn in 1941. The man has been in everything. Name a TV series from the 80s that you remember. Ken most likely did at least one episode. His biggest recurring role was on Coach as athletic director Howard Burley. He did 81 episodes of Coach over the course of eight seasons. Ken is still working. He appeared in an episode of the TV series Now Is Not the Best Time in February of 2021. I represent a new service we have called Welcome Neighbor. Just our friendly little way of saying hi. How's it going? We're here to help. And we just want to point out Craven is a synonym for coward. We're pretty sure that was intentional. Jennifer smiles as Wayne continues. Have you considered the convenience of having a phone in every room? Each one color-coordinated and styled to match your chosen decor. I'm just asking. This is not a sales pitch. I think that's a sales pitch. (laughs) Jennifer asks Wayne if he'd like a cup of coffee. Well, once he confirms that others are having coffee, he accepts. And you asked me why he would do that. Yeah, I said, why does he say, is anybody else having any? You know, now everybody makes K-cups and single cups of coffee. Back when you put on a pot of coffee and you were making like six or eight cups, it was always good coffee etiquette to ask if others were drinking coffee so that a pot wasn't being put on just for you. That would be a big waste. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm not a coffee drinker. I never have been, so I never knew that. It doesn't apply so much anymore because people can make the individual cups now. Jennifer introduces him to the rest of the gang who all wave and mumble a hello, except for Dottie. Dottie is still (laughs) sitting there staring at the table. She's going catatonic. She's not responding to anything happening in the room. I think she's in hell right Mm -hmm. now. (laughs) You all have phones, do you? So everyone nods and says, yeah, yeah, Wayne, we got phones. We're good. Les comes up from the basement with a concerned look on his face, he tells Jennifer he heard noises in the cellar. And they're doing a fun little thing as Les comes out of the cellar. We know he didn't go down any stairs. He's just walking behind that flat there. Mm-hmm. But they've put a light at his feet. So now it's coming up under his chin, and it looks like the flashlight under the chin when you're telling the ghost stories around the campfire. Oh, yeah, that was He's so much fun. He's got that look as he comes out of the cellar. I heard noises in the cellar. The normal kind, but disembodied voices. That would suggest this house is not necessarily haunted, but certainly contains some type of force, some remnant of a previous owner. He asks Jennifer if he can check the attic. She tells him, okay. Les quickly leaves the kitchen. Okay, he is so into this paranormal <laughs> stuff, it's kind of weird. Venus looks at Andy. Let's look at that bear. Hey, but the works there on the steps. <laughs> They leave the kitchen. Now, Venus used the word bureau when talking about the dresser. And I remember my grandma using the word bureau often, but mom called it a chest of drawers or a dresser. So we were curious if there was a difference. We looked it up. A dresser is usually placed in the bedroom or closet, while a bureau usually lives in a space like an office or a library. In terms of structure, Dresser and a bureau are pretty much the same thing. They're both chests of drawers that are used for storage, although sometimes a bureau might refer to a type of writing desk. Wayne, from the phone company, asks if he can sit down. Help yourself, pal. As he's walking over to his chair, Wayne overhears Dottie talking to Mr. Carlson, saying she feels just terrible. Carlson is trying to console her, telling her everything will be just fine. Wayne walks over to Johnny. What seems to be the problem here? Well, her lavender princess phone exploded this morning. (laughs) 
I love the way Johnny messes with people. He likes to throw these verbal grenades right into the conversation. <laughs> and it's so funny. He does it so casually and just offhand, and he's lying his butt off. Very believable. Wayne tells Johnny, oh, that's impossible. <laughs> I'm telling you, it happened. <laughs> Really? Seriously? <laughs> so Art continues to console Dottie. I'm sure your marriage is strong enough to withstand something like this. Well, of course it is. It's just a phone. <laughs> Dottie just stares at Wayne <laughs> with a blank expression on her face. And you can see Art tilting his head one way, then back the other way. He's like a dog that's heard a high-pitched noise. He's trying to make out what Wayne yeah, said. How, what does this have to do with our conversation? <laughs> kind of what now? So, so they both kind of look at him and they just have that pause of like, huh? And then Art goes back to Dottie and asks her how long she and her husband have been married. Eleven years. There you see. Huh? <laughs> Any kids? Yeah, a boy and a girl. A <laughs> uh, boy and a girl. Oh, that's great. And that, that, that's the tie that binds. Right, Fever? More or less. <laughs> Johnny's no help. Dottie thanks them all for being so nice and tells them she's feeling much better. Art and Johnny head out to continue moving things. Ken comes back and he walks straight up to Jennifer. You know what? We've got to have barbecues together. Lots and lots of barbecues. At least once a week. Dottie is sitting right, <laughs> right there. Right there and he doesn't see her. Not until Jennifer says, Look, Ken, Dottie is here. Ken looks over at Dottie and then boom, right back to Jennifer. He tells her that the piano's in the driveway and it won't be long now. Hey, uh, Ken, uh, we better get going. 60 minutes is coming on. So? We'll miss it. Dottie's mood suddenly becomes sullen. He hasn't missed 60 minutes in eight years. <laughs> he even liked point-counterpoint. <laughs> I love how Ken is now so invested in this piano. He is as into it as Herb is. We're going to get that piano Anything in here. Anything for Jennifer. Anything. So we did a lot on 60 Minutes in the episode Bad Risk, back when Mike Wallace was investigating Herb's insurance company. A very special life insurance company, as a matter of fact. One that has been featured on 60 Minutes, in which Mr. Mike Wallace and the whole gang marched right into the offices and everything. If you want our take on 60 Minutes, make sure to check out that episode. Now, knowing that 60 Minutes is coming on does give us a timestamp for this episode. 60 Minutes moved to Sunday nights in January of 1972. Since then, 60 Minutes has always been on Sunday night. Since 60 Minutes is about to come on, we know it has to be coming up on 6 p.m. Sunday. Have they been moving all weekend? Well, all the stuff that Jennifer had in that apartment, I probably. Yet they're just getting around to her jewelry? <laughs> well, I'm saving the best for last. <laughs> Might be. Jennifer gives Dottie and Wayne their cups of coffee. She then goes over to Wayne saying that she has some questions for him about the phone company. Well, that's what I'm here for. Fire away. You know, the phone company won't give you a specific time when they'll come to install your phone. So you have to wait all day long, and like most people, I work and can't take the whole day off. Uh-huh. So Saturday is the only day I'll be here. But because so many people have the same problem, you can wait up two, three weeks or more for service. That's correct. So it's possible for a person to be without phone service for an entire month. Yes, well, could you tell me why that is? Smiling, Wayne confidently replies, It's like that because we don't have any competition. <laughs> You'd think they'd be wanting to keep that covered up, but he just kind of throws it right out there. So Wayne may be getting a good laugh out of this, but it was actually a big problem in the 1970s. 
AT&T owned everything when it came to telephone communication. They controlled local and long-distance calls. Their subsidiary, Western Electric, made all the equipment that was sold by Ma Bell. That means every phone and every phone call throughout the United States was controlled by AT&T. They set prices without competition, and service was, as Wayne indicates, a huge joke. The U.S. government filed an antitrust suit in 1974. By 1980, AT&T could see they were probably going to lose the suit. To minimize the damage, they proposed their own breakup and actually dismantled the company. Local service was taken over by regional service groups nicknamed the Baby Bells. Since AT&T proposed the terms of the breakup, they got to keep most of the valuable stuff, like long distance. A a gracious good afternoon. Is this the Chinese People's Telephone Company? Good. This is Miss Tomlin calling from the U.S. of A. I was just talking to Mr. Joe N. Lai, and we were cut off. Now, just what kind of Mickey Mouse operation are you running over there? What's that? Would you repeat that, please? You you say you service a population of over 750 million people? Well, look, look, don't don't be surprised if Ma Bell shows up before the president gets there. We wouldn't pass up a market like that for all the AT&T in China. I love her. Bailey comes in from the living room with a short, middle-aged, bald man she introduces (laughs) as a Mr. Furgood. He's asking for signatures on a petition. Jennifer asks what the petition is for. We're petitioning the city council to help us stop the 14-story office building that's going up on the corner. Uh Uh-huh. What corner? Your corner. Four houses from here. Jennifer is shocked. She wasn't aware of this when she bought the house. Jennifer agrees to sign the petition. She comments that they will all sign it. Bailey says, well, surely the city council will help. Half the city council members are in the back pocket of the real estate developers. It's like that in most cities. Mr. Furgood is being played by Dan Barrows. He's credited here as Dan Barrows, but later in his career, he will change his name to Beans Morocco. Beans. Beans. Beans got his start in the San Francisco improv comedy troupe, The Committee. The Committee Connection. Where he performed with, you guessed it, Howard Hessman. Beans' first screen appearance was in the movie Billy Jack alongside Hessman and several other committee members. About a year later, Beans would make his TV debut on The Bob Newhart Show for MTM. Beans has more than 90 acting credits in both film and on TV. One of his best-known roles is opposite Kurt Russell in the 1980 movie Used Cars. He was born in 1934 in Ohio, and Beans just celebrated his 87th birthday on June 8th of 2021. Happy birthday, Beans! Happy birthday, Beans! Bailey asks if there aren't any honest council members. Mr. Fergood explains that there are a few honest members, but most get their campaign contributions from the builders. Money talks in the world. This earth of ours is no Garden of Eden. It's more like a dark, foreboding place where virtue is often ripped apart by incessant greed. Fergood tells them all his wife says he's a pessimist. Who knows? Maybe for once the people can win. It's hard to say. You don't find out about the rotten scum of local government until you get knee-deep in it. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it'll be a real nice experience. What did he 
we call it a, a drag butt pessimist. A drag I've butt. never heard that one before. I think but I'm going to start butt using pessimist. that. Though. Quit being such a drag butt pessimist. <laughs> I like that. So Jennifer and Bailey watch as Mr. Furgood walks out the back door. Have you noticed that all the men in Landersfield are going bald? <laughs> I wonder if there's a nuclear power plant in this area. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, you had that comment even before she brought it up. It's like everybody coming in is bald. And Bailey, oh my goodness, Jan Smithers was almost broke. Oh, she was smiling so hard. She was. She had her head down and she was smiling. You could see it going up into her eyes. Her her mouth was curled up. So many. There were. There was a lot of laughter there. Yeah, and it's it's a funny line. It's hard not to smile when there's that much laughter. But you know, I think she was working so hard on getting that line out. She said Landersfield instead of Landersville. Yes. Have you noticed that all the men in Landersfield are going bald? Fictional city is Landersville. Ville. Even if it doesn't exist, let's still get the name right. <laughs> that was a great line, though. Oh, it was. It's a great line. So Jennifer shakes her head. I don't believe this. I don't believe this is happening to me, of all people. Everything always goes my way. And you know, this is kind of interesting. This being a Hugh Wilson script, usually when Hugh writes anything about Jennifer, she is always just above. She's above it all. Right, right. And to have Jennifer having problems, especially in a Hugh script. And she doesn't know how to deal with things not going her way. They always go her way. Too much adversity. You kind of see her starting to fall apart. So Dottie is still sitting at the kitchen table, but she's kind of off in her own little world. She speaks up. He was a Sigma Chi. Jennifer looks at Dottie a little confused. What? Dottie says, None of it matters anymore. I'm getting the house, the kids, the cars, and the ice maker. Oh, my. Dottie is going for the ice maker. Jennifer rushes over to Dottie and puts her hands on her shoulders. You're not talking divorce just because I moved here? Dottie tells her no, and she explains that it all started years ago at a country club dance. I saw Ken out on the 18th green with Madge Pender. Which brings us to... The line of the episode. They said they were putting, but they didn't have... Putters. If you're going to be putting around, you better better have have putters. putters. Your cover story is putting. You better have putters. Jennifer putts. (laughs) (laughs) She what now? Jennifer pats Dottie's arm. Oh, Dottie, what can I say? And Dottie looks into space and she begins talking to an imaginary person. I've made up my mind, Madge. No more slow pitch. We're playing hardball now. Oh, she's, she's talking for to Madge. Madge. <laughs> well, Jennifer backs away and sits in a kitchen chair. Dottie stands up saying she's going to go get a good lawyer. And I'm going to nail Ken's hide to the nearest holiday inn. <laughs> she tells Jennifer. Welcome to Landersville. And leaves. What an exit. That was the way to storm out of there. Last time Dottie ever visits a new neighbor. Johnny and Art come in the door, one at each end of a big box. They start to make their way across the kitchen. I need a drink. I think there's a bottle of sherry in one of those boxes. I'll find it. (laughs) Johnny drops his end of the box crashes to the floor, and he runs looking for the sherry. So Bailey's concerned about Jennifer and her move. She's picking up on everything going wrong, so she goes over to Art, telling him things don't seem to be working out. There has been a divorce in an office building in the past five minutes. I think we ought to be going. Mr. Carlson tells Jennifer it's about time for all of them to leave. 
Johnny pops up from behind some boxes, <laughs> and he has found two bottles of sherry and a small sherry glass. Jennifer takes one bottle and tells Johnny he can have the other. You're a classy dame, Marlo. So are you, Johnny. Excuse me? <laughs> Classy dame. <laughs> Andy and Venus come into the kitchen saying they are finished. And we are not coming back here until you get an elevator. They've spent, like, I don't know how long with that stupid little <laughs> dresser. And you know what gets me is the two of them are moving that little dresser, which is like a next to nothing thing. And they're calling Herb a sissy. And poor Herb and is out got there that all grand alone. Piano. Yes. <laughs> Venus spots the bottle that Johnny's holding, and he grabs it from him. And speaking of Herb, here comes Herb back into the kitchen again. <laughs> Looking worse for the wear. Even more beat up. <laughs> He's breathing heavily as he announces... Well, I lost it. He lost it. Jennifer asks what he means. Ken and I just about had it. And then this woman just sort of grabbed Ken and the piano rolled out of the driveway and down the street. I chased it. I chased it for about two blocks. But you live on an incline and the thing just kept getting faster and faster. <laughs> what a great mental picture this is. I right. just love and it. And we we talked about this. There's no way they got this piano, the Herb alone, got this piano out of the apartment, down out of that apartment building she lived in, onto a truck, and got it outside. But it's so funny hearing Herb <laughs> give these reports. It's just great. So Venus is impressed. You raised a piano? <laughs> Damn, Herb's all right. <laughs> And let's talk about this line that yeah. Venus says. He he says, that damn Herb's all right. And I really think maybe he meant, damn, that, that Herb's, Herb's all right. right. I think he got it, yeah, flippy-flopped there. said that damn Herb. And Venus has done that before. He's had some words come out in the wrong order on a couple of times. But they just go right on. Just let it go by there. They're having too much fun. So Jennifer can't believe her beautiful piano is gone, as she tells Herb. Well, you tried. I was hoping you'd see it that way. <laughs> She's handling it in a diplomatic way. And she's staying calm. They all head out the back door as Jennifer thanks them for their help. Andy hangs back and he asks Jennifer if she's okay. But before she can say anything, Les suddenly comes down from the back stairs. He's <laughs> eagerly rubbing his hands together. Jennifer, this house is definitely emitting something. If I were you, I'd be very, very careful. She turns to Andy. Get him out of here. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's enough, Les. Well, Andy shows Les to the door. Well, baby... I guess it's just you and me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wayne, the telephone he guy. Kind of, kind of forgot about him. Still but he's sitting there. at the table, and suddenly Wayne uh, sounding decidedly sleazy all of a sudden. Well, Jennifer tells Wayne to take off. Wayne does get up and starts to head for the door, but he turns around and begins talking to Jennifer. He starts into some patter, sounds like he might be setting up a date or something worse. He's interrupted by Andy, who walks in carrying a piano bench. At least we got your bench. <laughs> uh, thanks, Andy. Good night, Wayne. Jennifer does a little shooing motion with her hand at Wayne. Wayne lingers a bit too long for Andy's taste. Good night, Wayne. Wayne gets the message, says good night, and leaves. Andy tells Jennifer he's sorry that things didn't turn out so well. That's not so bad. I have a beautiful Victorian home and... A neighborhood with oak trees and kids, and I can handle the city council. Oh, yeah? How about Ken and Dottie? I'll think about that tomorrow. <laughs> Good night. When Jennifer says, I'll think about that tomorrow, she seems to be quoting Vivian Lee as Scarlett O'Hara. 
in the final few minutes of Gone with the Wind after Atlanta has burned, the war is over, and Rhett Butler is leaving. Scarlet asks Rhett, where will I go? What will I do? Rhett, of course, doesn't give a damn. I can't let him go. I can't. There must be some way to bring him back. Oh, I can't think about this now. I go crazy if I do. I'll think about it tomorrow. Jennifer pours herself another drink, and she's just about to take a sip when there's a knock at the back door. Excuse me, miss. You live here? We see a police officer standing next to a tiny old lady, all dressed in purple, complete with gloves and a hat. Not even turning to look, Jennifer asks, who wants to know? Landersville Police. (laughs) Jennifer's eyes become wide, and the officer continues. woman claims your piano rolled down the street and rear-ended a hatchback. Exploded. Piano's in pretty good shape, but the car's gone. How could it get any worse? (laughs) The day's not over yet, Jennifer. The exploding car has to be a Ford Pinto joke. The Pinto was an ugly little subcompact produced by Ford throughout the 1970s. The same car was marketed under the Mercury nameplate as the Bobcat. Safety issues plagued the Pinto from the start. Its fuel tank design led to leakage and fires, especially during rear-end collisions. I doubt they ever tested it with a piano, but (laughs) it seems like the piano had the same effect. More than 1.5 million Pintos and Bobcats were eventually recalled in June of 1978 in an attempt to correct the problem. It was the largest automotive recall in history to that time, and it pretty much destroyed the Pinto. The Pinto ceased production in 1980, and it's been the butt of jokes ever since. I wonder if there's still any Pintos out there. You know, there have got to be a few. There, I bet there's a Pinto owner's club out there, and they've restored them, and they drive them around and try not to hit <laughs> each other in the rear. The cop is being played by Milt Tarver. Milt also has a great performer resume throughout the 80s and 90s. He has 64 entries on his IMDb profile. Interesting thing about this appearance, this episode of WKRP seems to be Milt's very first professional acting appearance. And finally, in our parade of guest stars, the little old lady who got hit by the piano, or at least her car did, is being played by Georgia Schmidt. Sometimes she's also credited as Georgina, and her last name is spelled the same as podcast contributor L.A. Jamie Schmidt. Yay! Georgia was born in Marion, Indiana in 1904. She has 48 acting credits, even though she didn't get into acting until 1962 at the age of 58. Now, Georgia had a look, and she capitalized on it. In 1966, she appeared in an episode of The Monkees as Old Lady. She was in the 1971 movie Andromeda Strain, credited as Old Lady. She was on The Odd Couple, Police Woman, Fantasy Island, and Chips, each time credited as Little Old Lady. I think I know what her look was. Yeah, we got her look down. In a 1979 Charlie's Angels episode, she played Granny. As in Old Old Lady. lady. (laughs) Georgia seems to have been the go-to old lady in Hollywood throughout the 70s and 80s. She did retire from acting in 1986. Georgia passed away in Los Angeles in 1997 at the age of 92. After hearing the police officer tell her about the exploding car, Jennifer gets a big smile on her face, (laughs) and she kind of starts chuckling. It's one of those situations where you have to smile, because if you don't, 
You're going to end up in tears. She asks the two of them to sit down and offers them some sherry, but the officer says that he's on duty. But with a gloved hand, the little old lady grabs the bottle from Jennifer. I wouldn't mind some. <laughs> she puts the bottle to her lips and takes a big chug. I think I see why Georgina or Georgia was the go-to old lady in the 70s. So suddenly we hear a door creak. There's a crash of thunder. We see lightning. The lights go out. They come back on after a few seconds. <laughs> it seems very abnormal and maybe a little bit paranormal. The officer and the old lady look at Jennifer. Ignore it. <laughs> and if the day couldn't get any weirder, the officer remembers to fill Jennifer in on one more thing. There's a sex pervert in the neighborhood posing as uh, an employee of the phone company. <laughs> oh no, Wayne. Wayne! I knew he seemed creepy. <laughs> So Jennifer's mouth drops open, but the little lady leans in towards Jennifer. He's quite nice. <laughs> I like Georgia. We come back to the lobby, and Jennifer's at her desk reading a paper. Johnny enters silently from the doorway that goes back to the studio. He's carrying an empty coffee mug. He's wearing a zipper jacket with no shirt underneath, and seeing Jennifer, he unzips the jacket down to his navel and walks up behind her. Jennifer stands up without even looking at him. Morning, Johnny. <laughs> yes, it is. This ritual of him sneaking up on her is getting weirder and weirder. Yeah, unzipping his jacket. Yeah, that What's was going on odd. there? Les comes in from the outside hallway, he sets his briefcase down. He asks Jennifer what happened. Jennifer asks him what he means. Last night at that house, did anything happen? Jennifer says she met a woman whose car she has to replace. And I discovered we have a sex pervert in the neighborhood. <laughs> Les says he meant did anything unusual happen. Andy enters and he's listening to the conversation as he and Johnny look through some albums. Jennifer begins telling Les about a door slamming or lightning and thunder. She checked with the weather service only to be told there were no storms in the area at all last night. The gang starts to assemble. Mr. Carlson comes out of his office listening to Jennifer's story. Les is mesmerized. He's following Jennifer around the lobby as she continues telling her story. Such strange noises. I couldn't decide if it was a sound or a voice. The gang keeps assembling. Herb comes in from the main door, and now he joins the others. They're all listening intently. Then I started to climb the stairs to the third floor. And as I did, the hall light went out. Art. Johnny, Herb, and Andy all come closer. They're gathering around Jennifer's desk. There was a force, a power. So I turned around, and the thing spoke to me. Les is so drawn in. The expression on his face shows he is really into this story. But what did it say? It said, where's Les? Well, realizing it's a joke. Johnny, Andy, and Art all go their separate ways, leaving the lobby. But Herb hangs back. It said, where's Les Nesman? So I said, Lee's gone home. But if you come down to the kitchen, I'll give you his phone number and address. And so I did, and the thing thanked me and it went away. Jennifer begins looking through the mail. Les and Herb stand for a bit, and then Herb leaves. Les looks at Jennifer nervously. He does a quiet little laugh. And turns away. The phone rings and Jennifer answers it. WKRP. Les, it's for you. <laughs> Jennifer holds the phone out to Les. He begins to take the receiver, but then thinks better of it and backs away. 
staring at the receiver. Who's on the phone, Les? Well, that's going to do it for Jennifer Moves. A different one, but a fun one. Donna, what is up for next week? We will be talking about real families. The Tarlick family is profiled on a reality TV show, Real Families. Herb and everyone being interviewed seem rehearsed, so the producers of the show dig deep in order to expose the real Tarlick family. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. Find us on social media. Follow our Facebook page at WKRP cast. And for more WKRP fun, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash WKRP cast for behind the scenes fun, full interviews and more. Got a question, comment or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, wkrpcast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!